Well, I want to say good morning. I want to wish you all a very happy new year. Those who are watching online at our Mill Creek campus, those who are watching by TV, thanks for joining us today. I don't know whether you are into Mickey Mouse or not, but uh, there's no place on earth like Disney World. Uh, it is the most visited vacation resort in the world. Th these things just, every time I read these stats, it blows my mind. A million people a week visit Disney World. 52 million people. They own 27,258 acres, which is the size of San Francisco, twice the size of Manhattan. Every day, guests wake up in one of 30,000 hotel rooms, 409 wilderness cabins, 799 campsites, and they're served by nearly 70,000 cast members who are part of the Walt Disney World team. If they get hungry, they may eat at one of more than 300 Disney restaurant outlets where they serve every year 10 million hamburgers, 6 million hot dogs, 9 million pounds of french fries, 300,000 pounds of popcorn, 1.6 million turkey legs, 13 million bottles of water, and 75 million Coca-Colas. And they better do it. They better keep at it. Because their annual budget, Disney World, annual budget, $59.4 billion. That's their budget. That's what they've got to make, roughly equal to the GDP of the entire nation of Croatia. Now, you don't have to know any of those amazing facts to realize if you've ever been to Disney World, it is a special place. And if you've never been there, try it one time. Let me tell you about my first experience. I visited Walt Disney World soon after it opened. Now, you may be asking yourself, wait a minute, how did you pull that off? Well, I was a student at Stetson University, uh, which is not too far out of Orlando. And then you may be saying, All right, wait a minute, you were just a sophomore, you were just a college student. How could you afford to get into Disney World? My ticket was $3.50, and I had a blast. It was wonderful. Now, you couldn't even buy a hot dog today for $3.50. But I want to tell you the first time I walked in, I don't mind telling you, I realized what makes Disney World so special. And what makes Disney World so special, and the reason why so many people want to go there, it's not how big it is. It's not even how beautiful it is. It's because of how hard they busted to accomplish the main purpose that inspired Disney World to build it in the first place. There was a recent article that was done by an investigative reporter. Just, he just went in and said, what makes Disney World so Disney World? What is it that makes this place a place where people from all over the world want to come to? He hit the bullseye with this statement. He said, every last brick that holds up Disney World was, was built to inspire joy for children. Walt Disney said, I want every ride, I want every attraction, I want every experience to bring joy to children. And, and, and I'm going to be honest with you, I'll just tell you, I've been there several times. If you don't go to Disney World and you're not filled with joy, it's your own fault. Because they're going to bust it. They're going to do everything they can to put a smile on your face and joy in your heart. But then I learned there's a big problem with Disney World. The problem is that when you leave Disney World, you don't take the Disney World joy with you. It stays behind. I don't know why exactly that is. It's just true. 
And I remember the last time we were able to take our entire family to Disney World two or three years ago, we went down there and had a great time. And I remember we were packing up to leave and it was just, you know, everybody was kind of sad and down. We'd had a great time. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. God never intended for life to be that way. God never intended for life to be anything other than real, pure, unadulterated joy. And yes, with all of its troubles, all of its heartaches, all of its headaches, all of its pain, and all of its, all of its sufferings, God created this beautiful universe so that his children, you and I, could live in complete and consistent joy. And the reason why I know that is because Jesus himself made that promise. This is what he said. Jesus said, I've told you this. He said, everything I've come, everything I've come to be, everything I've come to say, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you. And then he goes a step further and that your joy may be complete. Why did Jesus do what he did? To bring us joy. Why did Jesus teach what he taught? To bring us joy. What does Jesus want to do in our life, in your heart and mind? He wants to bring us joy. That's why we're in a series in the book of Philippians that we're calling Joyride. Because God wants all of us to live a life of joy. Now, let me just stop right here and I want you to hear me very carefully. Do not confuse joy with happiness. Nobody's happy all the time. I'm not happy all the time. You can mark this down. No matter where in the world I am, if the University of Georgia loses, I'm not happy. I'm not talking about happiness. Can I be honest? I know we need rain. When it rains, I'm not happy, all right? I, I'm just telling you. I'm not always happy. I can tell you this. I am always full of joy because God wants life to be a joy ride. Now, you think about this. We only get to take the ride of life once. Shouldn't it be a joy ride? I mean, even with all the bumps in the road and the sharp curves and the steep cliffs and the deep valleys, I mean, wouldn't you like for every hour of every day of every week of every month of every year to be filled with joy? Unless you think I'm talking about pie in the sky stuff, I'm just gonna ask you a very honest question. In this new year, would you like to minimize your pain and maximize your pleasure? Would you like to face life every day with a smile on your face, a bounce to your step, joy in your heart, regardless of your circumstances? You say, well, yeah, sure. Well, that's possible. Because in the second chapter of the book of Philippians, which by the way, that's on page one, I think it's on page 142 or 144 of your book, of your little booklet there, um, if you're looking at it, in the second chapter of Philippians, there's a church planner named Paul. And Paul gives a three-step formula on how to do this. It's not on page 140, I think it's page 44. A three-step formula on how to do that. It's probably one, of, one you've already heard, didn't know it was even in Scripture, but it is. As a matter of fact, Paul even gave the reason why he was giving this advice. He's talking to these people. He says, look, I want you to live a joy-filled life. And he said, this is why I want you to do it. You will make my joy complete by being like-minded. He said, if you live a life of joy, I will live a life of joy. And it's really interesting. Paul said, my joy will not be complete unless your joy is complete. And you know, I found that to be true. 
In so many ways, my joy is dependent upon the joys of the people that I know and that I love. The old saying is true. You know this. How many of you, are, you, got, how many of you men are married? Hold your hand up. All right, read my lips. If mom ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Isn't that right? That's right. Isn't that right? Mom ain't happy, nobody. If, if Teresa's not full of joy, I'm not full of joy. I've got four grandchildren. If my grandchildren are not full of joy, I'm not full of joy. I've got some of the best friends on the planet. If for whatever reason they're not full of joy, then I'm not full of joy. And that's the secret to a life that is enjoyed. Here's where you know you've really hit the joy button. When you've got the kind of joy that says, I want to make sure that my joy is bringing joy to other people. So if you're like me and you are saying, and I really am, I'm, I'm, being, I'm a positive guy. If you're saying, you know what, pastor, you're right. I'm only going to take the ride of life once. I don't know when it's going to end. I want it to be a joy ride. I want to enjoy the trip. Paul says, okay, if you'll do these three things, guarantee you'll be full of joy. And by the way, I'm going to say this till the end. You've heard this before, but you just didn't know what was in the Bible. You ready? You say, yeah, I want to have a joy ride. Three things. Number one, you've got to give Jesus preeminence. That's where everything starts. You've got to give Jesus preeminence. Now, the first thing that Paul's going to say in Philippians chapter two hinges on the very first sentence that he talks about, and it, and it encompasses the first two verses. Here's what Paul says. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one mind. Now, you don't know the Greek language, so you wouldn't know this, but in the Greek language, that sentence was written in such a way, the grammar is, it doesn't indicate a possibility, it indicates a probability. What Paul literally said was not if you're united with Christ. He was saying since you're united with Christ. Since you know Christ and Christ knows you, since you're in him and he is in you, then you ought to be full of joy. And here's the point I want you to understand. Paul is assuming that the focal point of your life is Jesus. He's starting off with that assumption that he, Jesus has first place in your life, that nothing or no one surpasses Jesus in importance to you. Now, you think about this. If it is true, and we believe that it is, Jesus came to us, Jesus died for us, Jesus lives in us, so he could be with us through all eternity. Doesn't, just that one thought, just take that one thought. He died for me, he came for me, he lives in me. He wants to be with me forever. Should that not bring to all of us inexpressible, irrepressible joy? And then beyond that, he says, we have the comfort from his love. And what Paul was saying was, think about this. It's not just that Jesus lives in you. I mean, that would be enough, right? But it's not just that Jesus lives in you. Jesus loves you. Now, you've heard that so many times, it kind of gets old and you kind of get hardened to it. Let me soften your heart again. Listen to me. Jesus loves you. As a matter of fact, nobody loves you like Jesus loves you. Nobody can love you like Jesus loves you. Nobody will love you like Jesus loves you. And it's because he loves us that we can love him. So think about the added benefit. Think about that, what that does for all of us, okay? If I love Jesus, and I do, 
and you love Jesus, and I pray that you do, then we're going to love each other. We don't even have to work at it. It's just going to happen. If I love Jesus, you love Jesus, we're going to love each other. Now you say, okay, why is that so important? Do you understand why that's so important for our church? Do you understand why that is such a big deal? Well, let me just remind you, you know why we exist. You know what our mission statement is, right? We want to point people to Jesus and as part of them live the cross-shaped life. That's our purpose. That's our goal. If we're not doing that, we're out of business. I want to point people to Jesus and as part of them live the cross-shaped life. All right, here's my question. What is the number one way we pull that off as a church? What is the most important thing we can do as a church if we're going to point our community and our city and our world to Jesus and inspire them with the cross-shaped life? What is the most important thing we can do to pull that off? You ready? Love one another. It's not what I said. Here's what Jesus said. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. Everyone will know that you're trying to point me to Jesus. Everyone will know you're trying to get me to live the cross-shaped life. Here's how they're going to know it. If you love one another. See, when people outside our church walk inside our church and they sense, man, these people love each other. These people love their pastor and their pastor loves his people. These people that, that come, I see them. They, they hug each other. They shake hands. They embrace. They smile. It's like they've, they've been apart for a week and they're just glad to have this family reunion. That's when they'll see the difference that following Jesus makes in our lives. And the way that we give Jesus preeminence and the way we keep him first, Paul says, is through the common sharing of the Spirit. Now, that, that word common sharing, believe it or not, you know what it means? It means to share in common. That's what it means, right? It means to share in common. Now, here's what Paul was saying. The Holy Spirit has one job in our life, one major job. You know what the Holy Spirit's job in my life? The Holy Spirit's job in my life is to keep me focused on Jesus. The Holy Spirit's job in your life, you know what his job is? 24 hours. He wants to keep you focused on Jesus. He wants to keep us in love with Jesus, to keep us pointing people to Jesus, to keep our minds and hearts on Jesus. But that raises a question, big question. And I get asked this so often. So if the Holy Spirit lives in every Christian, why do Christians fight? Why can't Christians get along? And why do they divide? I want to answer the question. Because we know that something's wrong with that, right? That, 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 that's, that's not the way it ought to be. Here's why. I want you to hear this. The reason why Christians fight and divide and don't get along is because there's a difference between the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the influence of the Holy Spirit. I want you to hear this carefully. And if the shoe fits, you just have to wear it. Every believer that's listening to me right now, if you're a true believer in Jesus, every believer is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in you. The Holy Spirit lives in me. He doesn't play favorites. He lives in everybody. But here's what I also know. Though every believer that's listening to me right now is equally indwelt by the Holy Spirit, not every believer is equally influenced by the Holy Spirit. And that's the difference. 
And that's why sometimes it doesn't work out. Because when we get out of fellowship with the Holy Spirit, guess what? Then we get out of fellowship with each other. So you think about it this way. You can't let, you cannot pit the Holy Spirit against the Holy Spirit. He will not fight himself. You can't divide the Holy Spirit. So here's what I know. As long as I'm full of the Holy Spirit and I'm in fellowship with the Holy Spirit, and as long as you're full of the Holy Spirit and you're filled with the Holy Spirit, there's one thing I'm absolutely sure of. Yep, we may disagree. Yep, we may debate. Yep, we may discuss, but we will not divide. Unless it's over some vital biblical belief or conviction that we can't compromise on, we cannot divide. So Paul goes on to say this. He says, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Now, what does it mean to be like-minded? Well, let me give you, let me, let me help you on this because some people misunderstand this. To be like-minded doesn't mean you'll always think the same way. It does, it, but it does mean you'll think on the same things. See, by thinking the same way, that means here's what we'll agree on. We're all going to agree we're going to give Jesus first place in our life. We're going to give Jesus first place in our church. We're going to give, give, give Jesus first place in our teaching. We're going to give Jesus first place in our attitude. We're going to think the same way. Now listen, that doesn't mean we'll always think the same thing. It doesn't mean we'll always see the same way. I can tell you right now, I don't know who's running for president yet. It doesn't matter. But we're not all going to vote the same way. I promise you that. I promise you that. Listen, if the apostle Paul was running, we wouldn't all vote the same way. doesn't matter. We're not going to, I get that. No, no, no issue. But here's what I'm saying to you. There is nothing wrong with having differences and discussions and debates and even disagreements. But here's what I am telling you. If we give Jesus preeminence, if we keep our focus on Jesus, if we stay in fellowship with the Holy Spirit, we stay filled with the Holy Spirit, we will never let politics divide us. We'll never let preferences divide us. We'll never let personalities divide us because we will not let anything divide us from staying in fellowship with God and fellowship with each other. It will not happen. So Paul goes on to say, here's the result. Having the same love will be in one spirit and of one mind. Here's all he was saying. If I love Jesus supremely, and you love Jesus supremely, we'll love each other. And when you're hitting on all eight cylinders with the Son of God, the love of God, and the Spirit of God, you will be full of joy giving Jesus the preeminence. So let me just tell you right up front right now. You can be happy, listen to me carefully, you can be happy without Jesus. Now, I know that may shake some of you if you're a preacher say that, but look, there are a lot of people in the world that are happy. They don't know Jesus. They're satisfied. They're content. They're, they're having the time of their life. You can be happy. You cannot have joy without Jesus. You cannot be full of joy without Jesus. So number one, you give Jesus preeminence. Now you say, okay, how do you know when you've done that? Well, all right, here's the second step and it gets harder. You not only give Jesus preeminence, that means you give others priority. You give others priority. So how do I know I've given Jesus preeminence? How do I know that Jesus is really in first place? Okay, here's a sure tell sign. When you put Jesus first, 
you will always put others second. When you put, give Jesus, put Jesus first, you'll always put Jesus second. Now, let me tell you why that's so hard. That doesn't come naturally. It comes supernaturally. Because the first thing you have to do to do that, you gotta take care of yourself. The first thing you gotta do is you gotta die to selfishness. That's why Paul goes on to say this. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Now, now what does he mean by that? Selfish ambition is when you wanna put other people down. And conceit is when you wanna build yourself up. Selfish ambition is when you want to win even if everybody else loses. Conceit is when you believe you deserve to win and everybody else deserves to lose. And the reason why it's so difficult to get rid of selfish ambition and it's so difficult to get rid of vain conceit is because we were all born this way. That's the way we start out. I mean, think about this. If you've ever had a child, you know this. The very first thing you've got to teach a child is not to be selfish. That's lesson number one. Because you know what the favorite words of a child, the very first words that children love to say, me, my, mine. Give it to me. That toy is mine. That is my doll. And one of the first lessons you've got to start teaching your child is they've got to think of others first before they think of themselves. The problem with that is we're born with this desire not to put others first. We're born with this desire to look out for number one. I, I love the story about the young mother. She was preparing can pancakes for her two sons. Kevin was three and uh, five and Ryan was three. And so the boys began to argue over who ought to get the first pancake. Well, this mother, being a very wise mom, said, okay, this is a teachable moment. This is a good thing. So she set the boys down and she looked at them and she said, now boys, she said, if Jesus was sitting here, you know what he would say? No, mama. Here's what he would say. Let my brother have the first pancake. I can wait. <laughs> Ryan turned to Kevin and said, Kevin, you be Jesus. Now, <laughs> That's the way we are in life. We're always saying, hey, you be Jesus. You, you let me go first. You take second place because we all want everyone else to be Jesus. But see, there's only one antidote to selfishness. There's only one way you'll ever put others second and yourself third. And here's what Paul said, now watch this. He said, rather in humility, value others above yourselves. You talk about a different way of thinking. Here's what Paul said. Instead of running all over each other, trying to be first, we ought to be falling all over each other trying to be second. But I know that's counterintuitive. And I know that's countercultural. Because everywhere you look and everything you hear and everything you read, it's telling you, Look out for number one. Take care of you. But Paul says, no, the way to joy is not to look out for number one, it's to look out for number two. We're told, do everything you can to get ahead. Paul said, no, do everything you can to get behind. See, we're told, if you have to, you step on other people to get to the top. God says, no, put other people on your shoulders and help them get to the top. 
See, the way to joy is to think of others the way you ought to think of others and to think of you the way you ought to think of you. You say, well, how do you do that? Okay, it's real easy. It's to value other people more than you value yourself. To value other people more than you value yourself. By the way, that word value that Paul used, it refers to a conclusion that's carefully thought out based on what's true. In other words, here's what Paul was saying. He's saying, I'm not just asking you to pretend that other people are more valuable than yourself. Or just try to talk yourself into the fact that more people are more valuable than yourself. He said, you've got to actually come to believe other people really are more important than you are. And by the way, if you're looking accurately, you will. Because in another letter called Romans, Paul wrote these words. Listen to this. Paul said, "For the great, by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Now, can we just be honest? Can we just kind of let our mask down and our face down and our guard down? Let's just be honest. There's all of us guilty that at times we have thought more highly of ourselves than we ought to. I remember one time back, I was just getting started in ministry. I said to Teresa, I said, honey, how many great preachers in the world do you think there are? She said, one less than you think there is. <laughs> See, we all have this tendency to think more highly of ourselves than we should. There's a story that happened several years ago when Don Shula was the head coach of the Miami Dolphins. He's the only coach that you know ever won a Super Bowl with an undefeated team, and he had just won that Super Bowl. He was at the height of his popularity, but he was having difficulty with privacy. Because he'd won the Super Bowl, I mean, he couldn't get any privacy at all. Everywhere he went, people wanted to shake his hand. They wanted to speak to him. They wanted his autograph. So he and his wife came up with this idea. They got on an airplane, and they flew to a very remote area in Maine and went to a very, very small town on the coast of Maine thinking nobody will know us and, and we'll get some rest. So they'd been there a couple of days and, and they decided they'd go to a movie. And so they entered this little, it was one theater, one movie was showing, that was this very small town. So they, they, they went into the theater. As they walked to their seats, everybody in that theater stood up and applauded. Well, Sheila was just disgusted. He was so irritated. He couldn't believe it. He said, man, I can't get away from him. I just can't get away. I can't get, get any rest. So he sat down and, and he turned to the man that was sitting next to him. And, uh, you know, he said, uh, I just didn't believe that you would recognize me. And the guy looked at him and he said, um, am I supposed to know you? And Sheila shot back and said, I'm Don Shula of the Miami Dolphins, and you all applauded when I walked in. The man said, well, coach, it's a pleasure to meet you, and, but the reason we applauded was because the manager had just walked in and said if two more people didn't show up, they wouldn't run the movie. So <laughs> don't think too highly of yourself. Don't think more highly then you ought to think. Now, let me just tell you, that raises another question. You say, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute, Pastor, wait just a minute. Here's my question. If I'm going to think that everybody else is more important than I am, then who's going to think I'm important? Well, 
When you think it out, you'll reach this conclusion that another man did, and I think you'll get it. Here's what he said. This is brilliant. He said, if I think you're more important than I am, and you think I am more important than you are, and he thinks she's more important than he is, and she thinks he's more important than she is, then in the end, everyone feels important, but nobody acts important. Isn't that true? Just give other people priority. That's joy. You give Jesus preeminence. You give others priority. And then here's what happens. Paul says, then you'll give yourself purpose. Then you give yourself purpose. See, when you, when you give Jesus first place and others second place and yourself third place, you're going to be full of joy and that's what brings pleasure is joy. So here's what Paul, he ends by saying this, watch this. Paul was a master psychologist. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. Now, let me just tell you how this works out. Of the billions and billions and billions and billions and billions of people who have lived on this planet, can you name one that was more full of joy than Jesus? I defy you. Tell me one that was more full of joy than Jesus. No one has ever lived with joy more than Jesus. No one's ever given out more joy than Jesus. But you know why the reason his life was pure, unadulterated, undiluted, undeniable joy? You know why? Was because from the moment he came out of his mother's womb to this planet to the moment he left, you know what he spent all of his time doing? Looking out for the interest of other people. Never looking out for his own. Always looking out for us. And see, the way, if you want to get to where you want to go in life, I'll tell you how to get there. Help others get to where they want to go in life. I, I found this as a pastor. When we brought staff people on and we matured them and grown them and given them responsibility and they've grown and they've matured and the favor of God's fallen on them, guess what happens? A rising tide lifts all boats. You know who looks good? Me. Me. You know why? Because I made it a point so you know what? If I will make you look good, God will take care of how I look. If I'll put you before me, God will take care of me. My late friend, Zig Ziglar, used to put it this way. He said, if you want to get to where you want to go, help others get to where they want to go. Now, again, let me stop and ask this question. Some of you are asking around you. So wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. So if I'm always looking out for others, who's going to look out for me? It's a great, it's a fair question. So I can tell you the answer because I've lived it. And it's both a promise and a principle. And it's never failed me in all my years of living. When you look out for others, God will look out for you. When you look out for others, God will look out for you. You know, there's a strange law in the kingdom of God, and this is the way it works. It's really strange, but it works. The lower you get, the higher you go. It's strange. The lower you get, the higher you go. See, the secret to joy is not being able to climb to the top of the ladder. It's being willing to go to the lowest rung of the ladder and give a helping hand up. It was a very wise person who said this. There is no life so empty as a self-centered life. We talked about that, Mike, a while ago. There's no life so empty as a self-centered life. And there's no life so centered as a self-centered emptied life. See, that's why we talk about the cross-shaped life. That's why we talk about, we want to grow you where you'll worship. 
and you'll serve and you'll disciple and you'll, dis- and you'll sin. And think about how this works out. So let's take worship. You know what worship is? You know what, you know what you've done this morning, believe it or not, just by being here today? You gave Jesus preeminence. When you get out of bed, you come to church, you get here on time, you fellowship with God's people, you listen to God's word, what are you doing? You're giving Jesus preeminence. You're saying, Jesus, you are more important than anything else that's going on or happening in my life. Guess what? When you serve, when you disciple, you're giving others priority. When you serve others, you're putting them before you. When you disciple, when you get into a small group and you lead a small group and you take time out of your schedule, you study the word of God with other believers, you encourage other believers, you lift up other believers, you let other believers know you're going through the same thing they're going through and you're encouraging them and you walk with them in their problems. What are you doing? You're giving others priority. And then when you have your one, when you're seeking to reach that one person, when you're willing to leave home and go on a mission trip, when you're willing to walk across the street and build a relationship with a lost neighbor, when you're willing to share your faith with a family member, you know what you're doing? You're giving yourself purpose. You say, man, this is what I was put here for. So what's this. I told you you've heard this before many times. So we're gonna put these three points together. And I want you to see if you see something because when you see it, you're gonna go, oh yeah, I've said that all my life, right? So we've said... Give Jesus preeminence. Give others priority. Give yourself joy. What does that spell? Joy. You've told that to your kids. Put God first. Put others second. Put yourself last. You'll have joy. What you didn't know was, you didn't come up with that. Dr. Seuss didn't come up with that. God came up with that. It's always been God's formula. You put Jesus first. By the way, good point for a little advertisement here. Put Jesus first. I'd like to ask many of you this year to make this the first year you put Jesus first financially. And just to help you do that, we've got a financial peace class that begins on Wednesday night beginning January the 15th. And you can go to our website today and you can sign up. And we've talked about this before. Why don't you let this be the year you get out of financial bondage? Why don't you let this be the first year in your life when your money is not the tail wagging the dog? Why don't you push yourself in a position where you can really say in every area of your life, including one of the most important, Jesus, you really are first in my life. One of the reasons, one of the ways we're gonna help you is is you probably know this, but we're gonna begin something we've never done in our church. We're gonna try it out. So Wednesday nights, we're calling it Wednesday nights at Crosspoint. And we're gonna be offering, I think there's a brochure, you may have gotten it in, in your order of service, I think you did. But we're gonna have a pastor's Bible class, Financial Peace University, Next Gen Ministry. We're gonna be, do, why are we doing that? We don't have to do that. We can stay home on Wednesday night. Why are we doing that? We want you to worship, disciple, to serve, and to sin. And so that's why we're doing all of those things. But why? Just sort of come back to church on Sunday night? No. To increase your joy, to expand your joy, because I have learned in my own life, never fails. When I give Jesus preeminence, I give others priority, I give myself pleasure. Life is the joy ride that God intended it to be.
Would you pray with me?